Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Title of the message is Spiritual Tools for Spiritual Success, which to me sounds super like motivational speechy. It's not, it's all rooted in the word, so don't don't let that title be like your eyes roll back in your head or something like that. But I think that there are um, some spiritual tools that we've been given that we may not realize we've been given or why we've been given them. And I want to deal with some of those tonight. So, but before we um, get into the, the, the passages of scripture, I want to kind of draw a mental picture here for you um, real quick and then we'll get into it. So I want right here to picture you. Now, when I say you, I mean the real you, which is the spirit. I want you to picture that there will be three stations, okay? And this first station right here is you. You are a spirit, okay? You have, next station, a soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings, and your decisions, okay? You are a spirit. You have a soul and you express those thoughts, um, decisions, and emotions through a body that you've been given. Okay, there's three parts to you, right? So there is your spirit, your soul, and your flesh. Now, um, I don't want to paint the, an incorrect picture of your body that it's like a car. Because people talk about it's the vehicle for you to express yourself for the world. Well, it's not really like a vehicle because if you wreck your car, you can go get another one of those. God intricately wove your spirit, your soul, and your body together, knit them together um, in a very intricate, intimate, deliberate manner. That's why when – that's why – Things like um, sexual assault are so traumatic to us because it's not like, well, that just happened to my body. It didn't happen to me. No, you are woven together with your spirit, your soul, and your body. You're woven together. The psalmist says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Mm -hmm. So he's talking to God. And God set up the process for us to participate in creation, human creation, and giving birth to other human beings together by, by that process, by his sovereign uh, decree or decision or instruction where that body, that new human being is woven together intricately, these three parts in your mother's womb. Your spirit was designed to be under God, to be in relationship with God, to submit to him. He's giving you this soul so you can take the thoughts that you've been given from him, these emotions that feel, that fill you in decisions to express these things through your body to interact with other people in the world. You follow me? You were designed for your spirit to control your emotions, which control your body. You were designed as your spirit 
to rule over your soul and then command your flesh what to do because you have submitted yourself to God. Everybody understand? One, two, three. This is the order you were supposed to live in. One, two, three. Spirit, soul, body. But, as the, as the story would have it, as things would unfold, Adam and Eve, who we're all descendants of, sin. And this sin nature becomes a part of us. And this sin nature does not desire for this order of your spirit to be in control of your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and express that through your body. No, the sin nature wants this to operate exactly backwards. It wants the natural, the, 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 the fleshly nature, the sinful nature, and these fleshly impulses to influence your soul into convincing your spirit to make a decision that is away from God. When the sin nature is in control, it doesn't want things to operate as designed. One, two, three. It tries to influence you by going three, two, one. The goal is to put you in an environment or manipulate the things around you so that your thoughts and your emotions would be overrun. And since you're not in control of them if you're not a believer... And for some believers, you're not in control of them yet. And you give in to what this sinful desire is tempting your flesh to do. So what's happening here is these two are being manipulated into causing this one to make poor decisions. Understand? You weren't designed to operate 3, 2, 1. You were, op you were designed to operate 1, 2, 3. You were designed to be in charge of your mind, your will, and emotions, and to have disciplined yourself into expressing what is in your heart to the world, how you interact with other people, taking the message of God, encouraging people through your body. That's how things were designed. But the sinful nature right here that Adam and Eve could not conquer is alive in all of us because... We are all descendants of them. Even if you look at the story in Genesis as just some allegory and not reality, even atheists and agnostic people who look at the story and be like, oh, that's not really true, you know, and they go back to evolution. Even, the, even within the last 18 months, a new study came out, I believe it was from the UK, that talks about how every single human descended from one early couple. All of us. All of us are descendants of people who gave in to this manipulated flesh. All of us have that sin nature in us because our descendants, our, we are descendants, our ancestors gave into it. And that sin nature was alive in them and it is now alive in all of us. It is undefeated except it took one L, one loss. It's undefeated except for one, and that's Jesus. 
He lived the perfect life. He rejected sin at every turn. He never succumbed to the temptation. He pushed it away on every front, lived the perfect life for us. He lived in that proper one, two, three order instead of this three, two, one, three, two, three, two, one, two, all this, this chaos that goes on in the turmoil inside of us. He's the only one who lived that perfectly because we couldn't do it. Every single person has taken a loss, multiple losses. Oh, you got a, you got countless numbers in the L column. If you're if you're um, if you're honest with yourself and with and with each other and just internally in your own heart, you've taken a lot of L's because this flesh, this sin nature, has won the battle. Sometimes I know I shouldn't have said something, but I popped off. I know I shouldn't have. Uh, of, of, of done that, went there, participated in that, took that, stole that, whatever. I should not have done fill in the blank, but man, I, I lost the battle on that one. As believers in Christ, it's very difficult for us to look at people who are unbelievers and deal with them on behavior change. Because most people think Christianity just deals with changing your behavior. You're a bad little boy or girl, and you got to be a good one. Don't touch or do that. You should touch or do this. If you do that, you're going to get a smack, and if not, you're, well, you'll get dessert. That's how people view, who don't serve God, they view Christianity because we have allowed them to think that Christianity is about changing our behavior instead of submitting to God. A heart that becomes new, reconciled to God, and then that changes our behavior. And so what Christians have been doing for a long time is coming to people who, have, who are steeped in immoral activities and immoral lifestyles and going, you should stop that. Why? You shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't participate in those type of relationships. You shouldn't give in to those sins. You shouldn't go down that road. Because, and people are like, wait, what do you mean? This is who I am. Sound familiar? Just being me. Just being me. This is who I am. You, it doesn't work for you, but this is who I am. Because they're so intertwined with that sinful nature that the flesh, is their spirit's not controlling them. The flesh is controlling them. It's manipulating their desires. It's, it's, it's messing with their feelings and their mind and their thoughts and their will. And what's happening is it's going back to the spirit, convincing it this is all there is. This is what you have to get into. This is why people are today in our culture are desperately trying to legalize immorality that we've looked at for decades and centuries as, oh my God, you should not be doing that. Do not call an adult man who's attracted to children a pedophile anymore. He's a minor attracted person. I'm not even kidding. They're teaching that in the high schools. Do not, do not look at people who have alternative lifestyles or who, who want to call themselves, I'm not a boy, I'm not a girl, I'm non-binary. Or they're making up pronouns for everybody. And to us, we go, this is crazy. This is not even logical. It's nuts. But these people are so entwined. They've run so far from God. Our culture has pushed God away at every, every spot, every chance it's gotten. And so what happens is they go, 
these impulses, these desires, these attractions, these appetites that I have, this is me. Not realizing that they are living three, two, one, exactly opposite of how they've been designed to live, which is a spirit submitted to God in control of your mind, your will, and your emotions that expresses those things throughout your body. And using that to impact other people around you. They've created an identity. Of course, I have this appetite. Of course, I have this trauma that makes me think this. Of course, I grew up in this kind of environment that, that makes me think this. This is my experience. This is my world. This is how I view things. This is how I want to be perceived. This is what I want you to call me. Because it's all being manipulated here. Because this is not where it should be. This spirit has not submitted to God. This spirit has an end, has an end result of death. It's on a path. Why? Because all of this sinful nature, the wages of sin is death. And so the sin nature is dragging this spirit into eternal destruction because there is no submission here to God. It all is sub, sub, um, submitted and subjected to what I want, what I feel. It's about you give me my freedom. I, you can't tell me what to do. My favorite old Kanye song, can't tell me nothing. That was his hook over and over. He can't tell me nothing. I don't want you to tell me anything. Why? Because I get to choose what I do. I am the God of my own life. I have submitted this to me, thinking that your flesh is you, not realizing there's a whole nother part that needs to be regenerated and submitted to God, and he moves you from death and then brings this alive. That's how we've been designed to operate spirit in control of the soul, expressing that through its body. And all of these things are under subjection of the spirit, which is under the control of God. But the enemy begins to create ways for this to be flipped. The old saying, when, uh, when my, my parents, when I was young, my parents were kind of my age, I guess, was, um, I think it was Flip Wilson, wasn't it, who said the devil made me do it? Yeah. You know, yeah, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil doesn't make you do anything. What he does is create opportunities for your particular brand of sin to be engaged in. <clears throat> I've said this before, but if you want to tempt me to overeat, you don't do it with broccoli. Because I hate it. You tempt me with a large Issa's pizza. Mom, Nana's pot or the spinach Alfredo one or the meat lovers one or any of those things that don't have any sardines on them. I'll eat all of them all day. If you want to tempt me into unhealthy eating, you use that because there's some things I have an appetite for and there's some things I don't and those appetites in you might be different. And it doesn't matter if that appetite is different. All of it leads to destruction. It may have um, different immediate consequences, 
It may have consequences that are different at the moment, but eventually all of that sin, the wages of sin leads to death. All of that ends in death. All of it. See the picture? We're supposed to be operating one, two, three. And the enemy is creating scenarios for us to tempt everyone by his own desire. So if you give into a... so if you are ha- if Christian is guilty of sin A and Ross is guilty of sin B and I'm guilty of sin C, we don't look at Christian and go, "Oh God, you're horrible," because we don't deal with that. And they don't look at me and go, "Well, we don't deal with sin C, so you're horrible." No, all of it is garbage. That's why the Bible talks about not not casting judgment towards one another in these ways or calling people as if you have no hope because all the sin lust sexually immoral activity sexually immoral relationships homosexual relationships abortion all of that is terrible and guess what else is terrible jealousy envy greed hatred private um, uh, desires for vengeance all of it. They all have different aspects and different repercussions throughout the physical part of life, but every single one of those is going to lead to death. All of them. One, two, three, how you're designed to operate. Three, two, one is how the enemy is trying to get us to operate. He wants this to be manipulated to cause this to be dragged in their own direction. See the picture? <clears throat> but for those of us who have, are believers, who have given your life to Christ, this has been made new. It doesn't mean that your flesh has just been, you're conquered. Every temptation you'll ever have, and you'll never struggle again. Yay! Then everybody would do it, right? Like, it'd just be easy. You want to stop drinking? Just get saved, bro. Boom, it's gone. That would be awesome. It don't happen that way. What happens is this, this spirit is moved from death to life, and all of a sudden this new mind comes to you, and you go, wait a minute. Uh, that's wrong. I'm convicted about this. I shouldn't be participating in that. I shouldn't be going there. Ooh, i got to make some changes here. This perspective, this viewpoint is different, not because you have been given this almighty knowledge, just uh, this high arching wisdom. It's not because you've been given that. It's because the Holy Spirit walks in with you. And now you're not alone. He's, hey, <laughs> ever feel that when you're about to do something you shouldn't? Yeah. That, that's the spirit of God going, hey, buddy, uh-uh, dude, ease up. He's in here with you. That's what the that's the difference, the main starting point of difference of someone who is a believer, who is looking at these things. You don't automatically conquer these things. What you do is you have a new perspective and a new power to look at them and go, I'm not gonna be doing that anymore. Or when I do, I'm like, man, it just doesn't ugh, it didn't really fulfill me before, but now I got this gross conviction i can't participate that anymore because this has been made new 
with that picture in mind, now let's go to Romans 6, 12 through 18. It's in your notes. I'll read it out loud for you here. You can follow along silently. <clears throat> Romans 6, 12 through 18. This is Paul talking to believers. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you, be, you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? <clears throat> you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Um, you can, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you're free from your slavery to sin, and you become slaves to righteous living. Here's what Paul is, is identifying in our, if I can take his words here and apply it to our illustration, so we got to have a visual here. He's saying, hey, you used to be dead. When you got saved, you were moved to life. And you no longer have to look at the desires, the appetites, the attitudes, the things that I have from a, a sinful fleshly perspective. I no longer have to look at those things and give in to them because I'm not obligated to, to be with them anymore. I'm not obligated to find my identity in those things anymore. I have been given a new identity. I have been moved from death to life. I am now a child of God. I am saved, and I'm looking at these things going, I don't have to give in to this anymore. I don't have to talk like this anymore. I don't have to think like this anymore. I don't have to walk or watch these things anymore. I don't have to... Uh, go these places anymore fill in the blank for whatever it is for you that you have a particular fleshly temptation or appetite for you don't have to give into it anymore it might seem obvious but for some of us you might go well i kind of have these impulses and i just kind of ride with them because that's just kind of how i am uh let me say it in a different way um i love jesus but i cuss a little That's just how I am. I'm saved, but we could throw down. Because if you cross a line, I'm going to look at this new life and be like, uh, pause, because I got some fleshly stuff I got to deal with. Right? When we do that and say those things, what we're doing is we're saying, I have all these impulses and I will not resist them even though I've been given the power and the command not to. I'm looking at these things going, oh, I remember what that was like. And if you, your fleshly self wants to deal with it, then I'll step here and here to my fleshly self and let my flesh get out of control a little bit. But you don't have to act that way anymore. 
You're not obligated to do it. Why? You are a slave to whatever you choose to obey. So if you're choosing to obey this temptation, this sinful nature, you become a slave to that. If you are someone who is rejecting that, submitting to God, you become a slave to righteousness. But what did it just say? God's grace gives us freedom. I get to choose my bondage, which is what most people think freedom is, the ability to choose your bondage. Or I get to reject all of that, bring my soul and or bring my soul and my body under subjection because my spirit is subjected to God and going, I will do what he wants above all of that. Choice is yours. Let's go on. Romans chapter 7. Paul continues, verses 21 through 25. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Pause. Anybody else feel like that every once in a while? That should be all of you, if you're honest. No liars in here. Okay, we'll keep going. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. What he's describing here is an internal war that every single one of you, if you're a believer, understands completely. You, you will think back to many times and be like, oh, God, yes. I dealt with that a year ago. I dealt with that five years ago. I dealt with that yesterday. What, fill in your own time period. What he's describing here is this internal conflict. Because now that you are saved and made new, you are looking at your flesh nature, and it is still alive. What he's saying here is put this thing to death. You don't have to submit to it anymore. This internal war that's going on is one that you have been equipped to win. But when I spend my time here, manipulated by the enemy, manipulated by my environment through temptation. When I am spending my time here and not spending it here, I am choosing who wins this battle today. There's a war inside of me. I become the slave of who I obey. And this war is constantly happening back and forth. Should I listen to God? Should I not? Romans 8, 5 through 14, he continues. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death. Pause. Letting this operate, not one, two, three but letting that fleshly nature, the the desires of the flesh to manipulate your thoughts and emotions into into decisions that are anti what God wants for you and destructive for you leads to death. 
We'll keep going. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. Not part of the time, not some of the time, not every other Thursday, not twice a month. Always, always hostile towards God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That is why those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. Pause. This right here should cause you to think of any person, minister, pastor, spiritual guru, whatever that you've ever heard that tries to tell you you can still follow Jesus but participate in all these fleshly immoral activities. You can still be saved and go to heaven but you can still participate in alternative lifestyles. Because love is love, man. God is love. And if I love this, then why would he not allow me to love it fully? You, can't, the, you cannot participate in the flesh, in the sinful nature, because it never did obey God's laws. It never will. And that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. If you are being run by this, you are not pleasing your creator. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You, believers in Christ, are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. If you're really saved, not just somebody who says it, but really saved, I really believe in Christ. He is my salvation. He is my eternal reward. He's my king. If that is you, the spirit of God's living in you, and that's evidence that we belong to him. Christ lives within you, so even and Christ lives within you, so that even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if, you, but if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. These three scriptures should shine a lot of light on this illustration here. You're supposed to be operating in this direction. Your sin is tempting you to opposite is to, to operate in exactly opposite. If you are functioning here, you are not pleasing God. You have the ability to look at that thing, that fleshly nature, the temptation, the appetite. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the the the, the opportunity and the ability to look at that and go, mm -mm, no more. I'm not going to do it. 
not because I got to be a good little boy and girl to get Jesus to love me and let me go to heaven. No, because this leads to death. This leads to life. This is bondage. This is freedom. You are not obligated anymore to live by these things. You can find freedom. Remember what he said earlier? What a miserable person I am with this war going on inside me. What in the world do I have? You have the spirit of the almighty God. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and lives in you. You have more power and ability to turn back these impulses, these desires, these appetites that you would possibly even understand. Why? Because I like how this feels a little bit. Like to not fully let it go. Just let me stay connected every once in a while. I just, you know, not all of it. Just take most of it. Just leave me with this one thing. You can take all those other drugs. Just leave me this one. You can take all these other behaviors. Just leave me this one. I can take all these other attitudes. Just leave me this one. Because, man, there's something... Of, appealing about it and if that's you that means you're human for believers there's this war going on inside of you and if you think for a second that man i have this war am i really saved the only reason you have a war is because god is present here with you yes you are saved you're dealing with the same thing that paul identified in these last three passages stop looking at yourself because you have a struggle and saying i'm not doing this well i'm not a christian i'm not i'm not following god right you, that that war does not disqualify you from serving god it's the fact that you have a war that you have conviction that there is turmoil in you when you look at these things is probably actually evidence that you do have a relationship with god that he is alive in here with you at some point or to some measure and that you just need to grow in your maturity and focus on him submitting here so you can put these things to death why would i try to do that killing these things is killing your bondage participating here is bondage how many people have you known or heard stories of that were deep into drugs and then wound up living on the street we can introduce you some next week at thrive they thought i can do what i want i don't like the the construct of society i don't like all of these things and so i participate in these things to kind of deal with it because it frees my mind man and they, all that freedom led me to sleeping under a tree and being robbed by other people who are on drugs that freedom was actually bondage. You can fill it in with anything. I participate in this type of lifestyle, but this lifestyle doesn't satisfy anything eternally in me. It just satisfies things at this moment. And so guess what? This becomes my bondage because if I think this is who I am and this is what I have to be because I am nothing more than my urges and my desires and my appetites and attractions, I'm nothing more than these things and I don't know that I'm supposed to be here, submitted to God, moved from death to life and reconciled with my creator. If I think that, I'm just going to continue digging a deeper hole for myself and this is bondage. You're picking your prison cell when you choose what sin you want to give into. 
Could be a rectangle cell. Could just be some handcuffs. Could be a straight jacket. Could be a padded wall somewhere. A room with padded walls. When you choose to be a slave to sin, you're choosing your bondage. That's not how we as believers are supposed to operate. You have been given the gift of freedom. Now, you might go, that's the longest intro in the history of messages. Okay, maybe. But these last five points are going to go really quick. You are here, and the number one thing that you've been given, not on your notes, because that, that's number one in your notes, but the, 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 the base that you have been given, the foundation, is the Spirit of God that's living here in your heart with you. Living here with you. You are not alone. If you had nothing else, he's enough. But then, on top of reconciling you to God, on top of, uh, of living the life you could not live, on top of setting you free from sin and bondage and giving us ultimate freedom and eternity with him and giving us his righteousness because ours is like filthy rags, instead of just leaving it like that, like that is way more than any of us ever deserved, he says, I'm going to give you even more tools to equip you to live in the way that I've called you to live. If you want to talk about lavish gifts, abundance of gifts, you want to talk about be given things you don't deserve, that alone should set us off for eternity. But he goes, no, I'm not stopping there. I have more things for you. One of the number one things he puts in our hands, number one of your notes, the Bible. <clears throat> the Bible, John 14, 26. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. He's reminding you of what you've read. Now, we are behavior-based. We've been teaching people behavior. Read your Bible. Uh, what's the old song in children's church? Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. You know, remember that one? Like everybody over under 40s looking at me like crazy. And then the reverse was like it made, it was even worse fear, right? Um, uh, don't read your Bible before I get to pray and you shrink, shrink, shrink. You know what I mean? You go down, down because you got all the action. You got all the actions with it, right? And that, that's all, that's cute, right? But um, that instilled in me a whole lot of fear. I got to read this thing. I don't understand it. I got to keep reading it. But if I don't read this, I'm going to shrink. I want to grow every day. I want to. I got to pray. Uh, God, what am I supposed to pray? Uh, uh, thank you, God, for. Uh, what I don't know. I don't know what to do. I got to read this. And I got to pray. I got to read the prayer because I want to grow. Because it's all behavior oriented. Instead of realizing, the Bible. Is a massive tool that has been put in our hands to help us fight the fleshly nature. I would uh, now, now. This might be controversial for some of you, but I don't. I don't really care. Um, that, that's insensitive. Um, uh, we can talk about it later. How is that better to say it like that? Uh, I already said. It. Dang it. Um, anyway, um, if you're a person who reads through the Bible in a year, God bless you. Do it. There's a whole lot of benefit for it. 
but I would rather you take three or four chapters and dive into them and understand what God is communicating through them than just go, I read the whole thing. What do you remember? There's good stuff in there. <laughs> like, like what? Well, you know, God loves us, right? Yeah. I made it. Woo, made it through. Yeah? Okay. Well, making it through, if it doesn't, in, doesn't change you, doesn't help you. I would rather you take the book of John, the book of Proverbs. Pick whichever four you want. Spend one, one a quarter. Divvy it up. You know, like by the financial sector of the, of the corporate America. Let's take the first quarter. I'm going to spend the entire first three months of this year focused on this book of the Bible, and I'm going to read about it. I'm going to study about it. I'm going to spend my time thinking about it. I'm going to read it several times and catch the things I missed before because I want his word to take root in me, not just be like, I did the Christian thing. I want it to take root. I need it to change me. And when you put that in you, and these moments of temptation come up, the Spirit of God's already here going, hey, bro, hey, bro, uh-uh, uh-uh, it's not how you be doing that. Nope, no, no, no. He, on top of that, he pulls out, uh, the, remember the scripture that you read? Now, the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he's bringing reinforcements, his own word. To be like, not only am I telling you this is wrong, and don't submit to this evil desire that's here inside of you. Here is a verse that you have been re reading. I bring back to remembrance everything I have told you. He'll bring back to your remembrance everything that you have read and put it here in the moment and go, yeah, I can't be doing that. Won't be doing that. I'm putting the Bible in my bag. Number two. The second tool he's given you is learning scripture, learning scripture. <clears throat> you might be like, Matt, it's kind of like the first one. It's kind of like the first one. Well, the first one is you reading the Bible. The second one is you being taught it. This is the foundation for what Timothy, a young pastor, was supposed to do. These are Paul's words to a young pastor. Until I get there, 1 Timothy 4, 13. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. He's telling them, read the scriptures, encourage them, and then teach them what they mean. That's what he's, that's what he's talking about. So, you may not have ever read the book of Colossians before we got into a nine-week series on it earlier this year. But when you come to church, yes, it's to serve. Yes, it's to build community. Yes, it's to connect with other believers. Yes, it's to, um, to, to worship corporately together. But one of the main reasons you're here is the teaching of God's word. Why? Because you may not have read something or seen it like that before, but here I'm giving you notes. Ryan's sitting here speaking. He's giving you notes. He's telling you things you didn't know, giving you different understandings on what these words mean on the cultures. And what we're really doing is opening up that bag and putting something in for you to take later. 
That's why there's so much effort to put into the notes and to, to make sure you understand and take these things with you and, and focus so much on God's word. Is because I'm not trying to be like, yay, go out there and get them. I'm trying to put something in your bag that you could pull out later when this flesh raises up in you, this sinful nature, these appetites raise up in you so that you can turn around and go, no, I ain't supposed to be considering that. That used to be a struggle for me. And as a young Christian, I was like, oh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Gave it every once in a while. But now as someone who has submitted my life to God, and I have the word of God that I'm reading, and I'm having the word of God that I'm learning, I look at that and be like, oh, heck no. I'm not even fooling with that no more. That's not even going to be a thought that lasts more than a, a half of a second in my brain anymore. Why? Because at that moment, the, the Holy Spirit pulls out the word you've been reading and what you've been taught. The last part of that series on Colossians, we talked about the roles of husband and wives in marriage, right? If you missed that, go back and catch it. But we talked about that. Why? So when the culture looks at you, ladies, and says, you don't need a man. There's part of the patriarchy trying to oppress you and put you under their thumb and want to send you back to the kitchen to make them a sandwich. And that's all you're supposed to be. And I'm tired of that and, you know, all that kind of nonsense. You can go, well, even the Bible talks about how you're supposed to be subject to your husband. Man, what kind of old, outdated, archaic thing is that? Well, you know that's not what's being presented. You, you know that's not what's being communicated. You know who he's talking to. You know what the culture is about. You know why he's telling you to operate in this, in this relational way. You know why he's doing that. And he pulls it out at that moment. The Spirit of God pulls it out at that moment and goes, ah. Uh, don't listen to that nonsense because you know what the truth is. Reading his word, learning scripture. Number three, <clears throat> believing friends. Believing friends. I'm not talking about friends who believe your story all the time. I'm talking about Christian, people who are believers in Christ, those friends. There's two major roles these friends will have. Ryan did a whole message on this. Um... Two weeks ago that you if you missed it go back and catch it it's really good galatians 6 1 and 2 dear brothers and sisters if another believer is overcome by some sin you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself search each other's or share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of christ here's the right way to do this well, let me, let me tell you the wrong way to do this. Um, the wrong way to do this is find out what someone is struggling with, call somebody in the church, and have an hour-long gossip session, and then end it with, but we should just pray for them. <laughs> all the little chatter, all the little words, all the little things. I can't believe they did this. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they're doing that. Oh, my gosh, what's this going to do? What does that do to his wife? What does that do to her husband? What's that, da, 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 all that kind of stuff. We should pray for them. To appease the conviction of the gossip that's happening. That's not what this is saying. This is saying, hey man, you normally don't talk this way. You normally don't act this way. You've been married for a long time, but in the last five minutes, I've heard you talk about that girl at work three times. Uh, uh, Ma'am, I've heard you talk about that guy that you see online a lot, but I know you've been married for a long time. I know that there's... There's something going on here. It's, it's, it's not 
It's not how people who are focused here are normally talking. Are you okay? Is there a struggle that's driving you back to this sin nature to submit here and become a slave to it again? Because if so, let me help you out of it. Let me pray for you. Let me, let's have coffee. Let me meet with you. Let's, let, let's go talk to somebody. Let me have a conversation because I don't want you to be a slave here. I want you to live in the freedom. And I'm not telling you that I've never been down here struggling with these things. I have, but at the moment I'm not. And so I'm, I'm humbly coming to you, not like, hey, bro, cut that crap out. I'm coming to you going, hey, man. There's some evidence here of the flesh is alive in you at the moment. You're losing this war. Can I help you? Are you all right? What's going on with you? Dang it, man, you're right. That's what this is for. The second thing, Proverbs 27, 17, the value of believing friends. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. This does not mean you need to be friends with everybody. Ryan's message that was not an indictment if you're not friends with every single person that's ever in the church. The goal is for you to have enough of a relationship with a handful of people. If you're friends with everybody, God bless you. But if not, have one or two or three people that you can call in a crisis. Go, I need your help. Hey, man, I'm struggling with this. Hey, this is what I'm angry, and this is kind of what my thought process is. Help me flesh this out. And what happens? You're right. You're wrong. Don't let it go that far. You're getting yourself into a hole. Stop out. Pull out of it. You have been, when these things raise up, one of the tools you've been given is godly, believing friends that you can call and go, hey, man, I'm struggling over here. It's supposed to be a blessing for you. The fourth thing, this might be something that's already on your radar after a gorging of Thanksgiving, but fasting. <clears throat> fasting. Acts 13, 2-3. These are people who were following the Lord. Um, these are disciples and apostles. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I had called them. So after more fasting and prayer... The men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. <clears throat> I used to think that fasting was one of the things that super Christians did. I used to think it was like, oh, bro, you really say, like you save, save, like you close to God, like you are, you and him are close if you be fasting. Like if you can drive by the taco truck on Taco Tuesday and be like, mm-mm, bro, you and him are tight because I don't know if I can do that. And so I thought that I didn't have everything that my flesh wanted. I was taught that these desires, I would, I would have them if I just said, God, give them to me instead of my flesh, give them to me. And I was taught incorrectly. And so I thought, oh, the reason I don't have these things is because I haven't hit that super high, super Christian level yet. And so I fasted in an effort to twist God's arm to give me the things he never intended to give me. And it never worked. And so then I fasted two days instead of one. And then three days instead of two. And then a week instead of 
three days. And I would go every month or every other month. And I got into this routine until I feel like the Lord really corrected me and set me down. was almost angry with me in my heart. It was this deep conviction of communicating to me. Hey, man, what are you doing? This is not what this is for. And when I went back to the Word, I realized one of the benefits of fasting is me telling my flesh that you're not in control. I'm denying what you want, the food that you crave and desire so much. I'm not telling you to go like Gandhi and like eat a piece of bacon for three years. I'm not talking about doing that. What I'm telling you is Fasting is given to you as a tool to look at your flesh and be like, hey, you're not in control. But it's Tuesday, and the El Super Taco, which is at the corner of Claire and Cave Creek, less than one mile from my house, um, has $1.49 tacos there. And do you really want a taco, even though it's the time you've dedicated to fast? I really do. And that really crossed my mind. Maybe I can just back my fast up a day and be like, can I start tomorrow instead of today? No, no. Why? Why am I going to do that? Because, hey, um, I'll be alive next Tuesday. But right now, you're trying to it, you're trying to win the battle of control in me. And I'm not going to give it to you. And every time my stomach rumbles, I'm not going to go, this hurts so bad. Why did I choose to do this? I'm going to go, that is a reminder that this is trying to be in control. And I'm going to use that as a reminder to pray and feed this part of me. So I remain in control of this. And this doesn't take over the rights of control for me. The goal of fasting is not to twist God's arm to get the things that you really want that actually came from your flesh. The goal of fasting is to look at the flesh and go, hey, you're not in control anymore. I'm not letting that happen. I'm telling you, you will submit to God. You don't run things. I know what order this is supposed to be in. The last tool you've been given, number five. <clears throat> letting go letting go Luke 9 23 through 24 then he Jesus said to the crowd of his followers if any of you wants to be my follower you must give up your own way take up your cross daily and follow me if you try to hang on to your life you will lose it but if you give it up if you give up your life for my sake you'll save it if you try to hang on to that flesh nature because there's an appetite that I really don't want to let go, there's something I do not want to release, there's something that I kind of like and I want to, I enjoy participating in this. When I'm over here saying, you hold on to that, what's going to happen? It's going to drag you in a direction opposite of where you're supposed to be going. If you try to hold on to it, you're going to lose that life. But if you will let go, give up your life for his sake, for his glory, for his purpose, you're going to find that it'll be saved. Take up your cross daily. You know what that tells me? I will never reach a point until I get to heaven. That the flesh nature doesn't tempt me in some way. I'm going to have to every day. No. Every day. Oh, that's a little different. 
I had that one conquered. I could say no really quick on that one. Then all of a sudden this other thing kind of hit me as a out of the blue here. No, 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 no. I, I know this, 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 this. I'm not participating in that. I know where this leads. I know what this will do to my family. I know what this is going to do to my relationship with God. That thing in you that wants to hold so desperately to that appetite. If you're a believer, just let it go. The point I'm trying to get to tonight is that you, this person right here in this first spot, has been given the Spirit of God and all of these tools to fight that. To put that to death today, again. To be reminded that this is where my attention should be, not here. That here I may stand and feel triumphant because I got to do what I wanted to do, but actually true freedom, freedom is found when I submit right here. Adam and Eve, self-centered, arrogant, untrusting, self-serving. When they decided to do exactly what the perfect loving God told them not to do. All of that was removed. All of that was removed. And so the tools that I'm hoping to draw your attention to today are things that I have to use, that everybody has to use, because that sin nature does not die until your spirit is relieved from this body and goes to be present with the Lord. That's going to be a battle. That happens all the time. And you've been given the tools to win. These are not the only tools, but these are five really big ones. Haymakers. You can throw at that. The choice for us is pretty simple, I think. The idea of freedom that leads to slavery or true submission that leads to ultimate freedom in God.